Welcome to the Chilean Sea Blob Podcast. In each episode, I'll share a previously published short fiction written by me, Theodore Carter. The stories will slither in and out of genre distinctions, but will consistently stay weird. Now, let's get started with today's story. I used to love her. She saunters out through the bedroom door, naked, stiff-legged, her neck bent to the side, moving in a series of jerks. Sarah, you all right? I ask. We've been fighting recently. I want to sound concerned. Yeah, okay, she says, but her voice is gravelly, barely comprehensible, filled with phlegm. I leave her alone as she squeezes past me into the bathroom and closes the door. We left the bar at 3 a.m., bickering, because some stranger had tried to kiss her and nibble her neck. Maybe I should have let him, she said as we stumbled drunkenly into a taxi. Maybe you did, I replied. We spilled out of the cab and made it up the steps to the front door with the help of the sturdy handrail. Behind the bathroom door, I heard her making a hacking sound. It could be a cough, vomiting, I'm not sure. She gets pretty uptight about me being around when she's like this. She has antiquated ideas about looking fresh. So I leave her upstairs and go down to the kitchen to make breakfast. I hear the shower running. She comes into the kitchen wearing my old blue t-shirt and a pair of mesh shorts. It's an odd choice, but I like that she's wearing my shirt. Maybe we've made up. The shirt's neck pulls to the right. The waistband on her shorts is askew and her underwear hangs out on one side but not in a sexy way. She looks haggard, death warmed over. Her normally pale skin is almost blue and dark. Purple bags show under her eyes. I should say something kind, reassuring. I pull out a skillet from the cabinet. Do you want some eggs? She grunts in affirmation and scratches her scalp. Her wet brown hair falls in front of her face. I turn and work at the stove, pretending to labor over the eggs. She really looks like hell, and though I know it's petty, I'm pretty disgusted. I try to push such immature thoughts away. Sarah is my first long-term relationship, my first go at commitment, and I should not fuck it up because she looks like crap when she's hungover. I'm past that. I think I'm even in love with her. I push the eggs around in the pan and get a whiff of something acrid. I take the pan off the heat and smell it. Maybe the eggs are bad. It isn't the eggs, though, and after a moment, I begrudgingly come to the conclusion that the smell is Sarah. I turn and look at her over my shoulder. She's sitting on one of the bar stools at the counter, swaying back and forth like Stevie Wonder. She looks at me and makes a slow, guttural grunt. I turn back to the eggs. Jesus, she's disgusting. If it weren't for her wet hair, I'd find it hard to believe she'd actually gotten in the shower. I know there are times when I come home looking like shit, or I play hoops and I don't shower right away, and Sarah never says a word. It's ridiculous for me to be so shallow. I start thinking about all the things she does that annoy me, how she leaves the peanut butter knife out after making a sandwich, how she picks at her toenail polish when we watch TV, stuff like that. Here are your eggs, I say. I slide the plate and the fork in front of her. She grabs hold of the fork with her fist and starts stabbing at her eggs. When I went to her parents' house for Thanksgiving, they had about four forks at each table setting. I can't believe this is the same girl those people raised. I figure, you know, 
Sometimes when you're hungover, your whole body feels weak. Your arms feel heavy. She wouldn't give me grief for it, so I leave her alone. I stand at the counter across from her and eat my eggs, but I can't help watching. She only stops momentarily to look at the gurgling coffee maker with quiet skepticism. Then she's slurping down her eggs again, like she's eating a bowl of soup. Half of the eggs aren't even going into her mouth. She's like Cookie Monster, her food dribbling down her chest and onto the floor. So, how are you feeling, I say. She hasn't really said anything to me since she woke up, and I wonder if she's still mad. She doesn't answer, only shifts her wary gaze back toward the brewing coffee. The coffee machine beeps, signaling it's ready. Sarah pops out of her seat. She looks at me briefly before walking over with the same laborious gait to the coffee pot and swiping it off the burner with a backhanded slap. Roar! Jesus Christ, Sarah. But I sure as hell don't want to fuck around with her if she's going to act like this, so I don't say anything else. She stumbles out of the kitchen and through the front door, letting the screen door bang shut behind her. I let her go. Maybe this is best for her to leave for a while. When she comes home, she'll approach me with her head down, then look up at me with those soft eyes and give me an apologetic hug. Still, I have to get the mop out for the coffee and sweep up the glass shards. It's hard not to be angry. I hear her an hour later. She lets the screen door bang behind her as she enters. Instead of the soft, forgiving look I was expecting, she growls and walks past me into the kitchen. Her skin is a deeper blue-purple tone now, and I can see the outlines of her veins like spider webs on her cheeks. This has to be something more serious than a hangover. Sarah, you feeling okay, I say? She only grunts. Her bare feet are muddy, and I'm thinking it's good I haven't put the mop away, but I'm worried while she goes into the kitchen as to whether I've cleaned up all the glass. If she cuts her foot, she's likely to bite my head off. I study the brown footprints she left on the carpet. The markings are tinged with red. I look out the front door and see a dead cat on our front steps, a pool of blood underneath its carcass, its neck bent at an unnatural angle. A neighborhood dog or raccoon probably got to it, I think, though I can't be sure. I go into the kitchen. Mindlessly, Sarah paces back and forth, drooling, grunting. We should take you to a doctor, I say, but it's Sunday and there's no way in hell Sarah is going to let me drag her to urgent care. She doesn't respond, only moves toward me with that painful-looking walk. She holds her arms out in front of her, her head bent to the side. A strand of spittle runs from the corner of her mouth. I think maybe she's approaching me for that apologetic hug I predicted. I smile and reach out, trying not to show my hesitation, my wincing at her deathly blue skin, her rotten smell, her uncontrolled drooling. We embrace. I grab her around the back and squeeze. She feels sweaty, fleshy, rigid, like a piece of bony fish. As I hold her, I think, that's it. I need to break up with her. If not today, then soon. I've felt this way before, but then settled down. She leans into my neck and tries to bite me. Sarah, stop, I say, but she does it again. I push her away and she snaps at my finger with her teeth. She misses, and her jaw smacks close with a loud cracking sound. She snorts, letting out a horrid-smelling breath so foul, I wonder if she bit that dead cat, broke its neck with her teeth. Stop, I yell. 
Sarah can be pushy, really bossy. She's never acted this badly before, but she does have a temper. She stands in front of me, her face contorted into an ugly scowl. This is when I get fed up. I can understand up to a point, but the truth is, she's been in a foul mood a lot lately. I know relationships are about compromise, but she's a real drag. I look at her in silence as she approaches. She's still grunting softly. Maybe I'm not in love with her anymore, just wanting to be. She never lets me pick the movie at Blockbuster, never wants to eat out at my restaurant choices, never wants to hang out with my friends. She's always making snide remarks about my clothes, saying things like, let's go buy you some more nice pants. The bars she likes charge $5.50 for a Corona. Whenever she borrows my car, she takes my Guns N' Roses out of the CD player and leaves Tori Amos in. It's comforting to realize her selfishness, but I can't ponder it too long because she's stumbling toward me. I need some time to think, I say, but she doesn't seem to hear. I scamper past her and out the front door. The neighborhood is quiet, almost eerily so, but it helps me think. After a few blocks, I become even more certain. Sarah's not right for me, not anymore. Commitment is good, I can commit, but I shouldn't commit to Sarah. I deserve someone kinder. It feels good to come to this conclusion on my own. I think it helps me act with a clear head later when she starts eating the raw meat out of the fridge and going after small animals in the yard. Sarah, I'm sorry, I say as she lumbers across our cement patio, knocking over a lawn chair in an attempt to swipe up a blue jay she's wounded. I've got to call someone. You're out of control. She's focused on the elusive fluttering jay. The operator says all ambulances have already been dispatched. A busy day, she says, and as she's saying it, I realize I can hear multiple sirens in the distance. She promises to send the cops. I'm on the front steps when the squad car screeches to a halt in our narrow driveway. A big, mustachioed patrolman gets out holding a shotgun. Where is she? he asks. I notice the right sleeve of his uniform is torn and there is a smattering of blood on his thigh. Out back, I say, pointing. He rushes past me into the house. I follow as his heavy boots shake the floor. He stops while exiting the sliding glass back door and stands with one foot in the kitchen, the other on the top step, like he's afraid of getting too close. Stand back, he says, and he points his shotgun at her. Wait, I yell, but he ignores me and lifts the gun, taking aim. Everything is happening so fast. I want to talk things through. Sarah takes a slow but aggressive step toward the cop, bares her teeth, and hisses. Sarah, please, I say. The gun gives a monstrous roar, and Sarah's head is nearly blown clean off. It's devastating. I scream in horror as her blood spills over the patio. Still, at least I know it never would have worked out between us. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's story. If you did, please leave a rating and a review. Also, please tell a friend directly. Personal recommendations help a lot. My main goal with this podcast is to grow an audience for future work, and it'd be great to connect with more odd people who like strange art. I'd love to connect on social media. You can find me on Twitter or Instagram at TheodoreCarter2 or on Facebook with the handle at Chilean Seablog. This story and other stories in this podcast are part of my book, 
the life story of a Chilean sea blob, and other matters of importance. The book is available wherever books are sold online, and you can find links to all of my books on my website, theodorecarter.com. You can also find other things there, like videos of me making a giant cement eyeball or turning traffic boxes into robots. Music from this podcast comes from TMI Management, T-M-I-M-G-M-T.com. Thanks again for being here, and I hope you come again.